Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. My name is Andy. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection Church. So glad that you were with us this morning. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Maybe you're joining online for the first time. Uh, church family, can we welcome our visitors? <clears throat> Happy New Year to all of you. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading the sermon text this morning. We're, cont- we're picking back up in Hebrews. Um, I'm going to, if you want to turn there, chapter 2 of Hebrews. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 9. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, uh, uh, chapter 2. We're probably only going to make it through verse 13 this morning. But as we always encourage you to do, please read ahead um, in the coming weeks. Uh, read the whole book of Hebrews. Uh, but for sure, read through chapter 2. Um, as we'll be finishing up that next week, Lord willing. Maybe he doesn't want us to finish next week. We'll see. Um, We're starting verse 9. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sacrifices and those who are sacrificed all have one source. Sanctified, thank you. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who, who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able, able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Good to see you all. What a good crowd this morning. Um, How many of you um, this Christmas season bought yourself a Christmas present? Raise your hand. I did. I bought myself one. Um, I I bought, I've I've wanted one for a while. I bought myself a nine millimeter pistol. And uh, I, I've never owned a pistol before. I've never, never done a lot of pistol shooting, but I, I wanted one, so I bought one. And one of the things I've discovered since I got one is that I'm actually cross-eyed dominant. Does anybody know what that means? Yeah, yeah. some of you are like, yeah, I know what that means. Uh, it means that I, I shoot right-handed, but my left eye is dominant, which makes it hard to aim. At least it is for me. Some of you that have figured this out, maybe you've found ways to compensate for it. And I've been on a learning curve to try to figure out how is it that I can aim this pistol properly when my left eye wants to take over and I'm holding the gun in my my right hand. So when when I figured that out, I immediately started to do, I realized I needed to do some research. And you can imagine what I did to do research. Research. I got in my truck and I went to the library and I checked out four books. No, that's not what I did. (laughs) I did not do that. In fact, I did exactly what you know I did. And that is I went to YouTube. And I looked on YouTube for the shortest 
and most concise and most simple explanations of how to properly aim a pistol when you are cross-eye dominant. Why? Because I wanted to spend as little time and little effort as possible to get as much information as possible. A couple of things about that. One of the things that I've been praying over us, myself included, for the last few weeks is that the Lord would give us attention. Minds that are attentive to what we are studying. Because here's what I know and here's what you know is we live in a culture that is driven by sound bites. We want headlines. We don't want details. And therefore, our attention spans have suffered as a result because we're so used to getting exactly what we want in its most concise form as possible, its simplest form as possible, as quickly as possible. And therefore, we struggle, don't we, to pay attention to things that might be simple but are not simplistic. How many of you know the gospel is simple? But it's not simplistic. That's why the author of Hebrews would say, we need to pay all the more attention to what we've heard. He's, he's going to say later on in this letter, you're still on milk, not solid food. How many of you want the solid food? You know, there was a time in my life where milk worked. I was about this big. I can't survive on that anymore. I need meat. How many of you meat, need, need some meat? I want meat, right? I want, the, I want to understand the depths of our salvation. So that's part of it. I've been praying that the Lord would give us attentive minds and receptive hearts so that we're able to focus not on what is too calm. There, there should be nobody at Resurrection Church that feels like this study through Hebrews is so academic that you can't wrap your mind around it. This was written to everyday, ordinary people just like me and just like you. We can't understand it. But our culture and the technology that has made life so convenient for us isn't helping us when it comes to our need to give attention to what is written. Second thing about that is we need to be able to aim at the right things. I, I, how many of you have set goals for the new year? Oh, wow. I just ruined my whole analogy. We got, we got a church full of people that don't care, Mary. What are we going <laughs> to? I'm not even sure where to go now. I, I, my whole sermon is undone. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm going to imagine that y'all did raise your hand and you did have some goals that you set. You know, it's... <laughs> Stephen Covey, in his famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said, you need to begin with the end in mind. And you know what? For, I think, about a chapter and a half in this study through Hebrews, the author of Hebrews has really been leading us to begin with the end in mind, to let us know what it is that, not that, I think it's better said this way, what we are being aimed at. We need to be able to aim and I think that if, we, if you've set goals in 2024 for your spiritual life, like you want to read your Bible more, you want to pray more, you maybe want to be more consistent at church, be more involved at church, those are really good things. But here's what you know and what I know is that we struggle with consistent motivation. And I think that at least part of that might be that we're not exactly sure what we're aimed at. Ask yourself a question. What is the ultimate final goal of our salvation? Can, you don't have to answer out loud, but can you answer that? Do you know that? I think some people might say, well, it's God's trying to get me to heaven. You know what's interesting? If you read, just I challenge you, read through the whole of the New Testament and notice how often the New Testament writers talk about us getting to heaven. You might be shocked to find out just how little ink is devoted to that. I'm not saying we're not going to heaven. Praise God, there is hope beyond this life. But the New Testament gospel is not focused primarily on just an afterlife. There's something more. There's something deeper. There's something richer. 
And I think that's primarily what the book of Hebrews is all about. And if we're going to see that, we're going to need attention. And I would encourage you right now, right now, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you an attentive mind that is empowered and enabled to see what is actually here and understand it. And then embrace this inspired book as it tells us what it is that God has actually aimed us at in salvation. Does that sound good? Because if we began with that end in mind, it could, it might change everything about our motivation and our joy in this thing we call the Christian life. Sound good? What are we aimed at? What is the end that the author of Hebrews is asking us to begin with in mind? Look at verse 10 again. <clears throat> for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, everybody say glory, glory. should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. We're going to come back to that. We're going to unpack it. But here's the end. The end is glory. A share, folks, in the life and the glory of God revealed in the Son. That's what we're aimed at. That's the end that we must begin with. The end in mind we must begin with is glory. A share in that glory. That's what the author of Hebrews has been really doing, I think, for the better part of this first chapter and a half, really the first two chapters, is he's leading us to begin with that end in mind, and then the rest of this letter is going to be unpacking how it is that God has secured that end for us, and how it is that he's going to bring us to that end. Glory. Everybody say glory. glory. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Hebrews. Let's back up and review. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how he lays the foundation for that end. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets or in the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. As we began this journey, here's where the author of Hebrews starts. The greatness of Christ. The greatness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's not an angel. He's actually greater than angels because angels worship him. He's not merely another prophet. In the former time, long ago, God spoke in prophets. He spoke in a prophet way. You could probably name some of them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. He spoke through the prophets. But everything he said in the prophets was only and always pointing to who? The Son, Jesus, who is greater than angels, and he's greater than the prophets. Why? Well, he's been appointed the heir of all things. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is a staggering statement to me because my word doesn't hold anything together permanently. I can give an order to my children or I can give a directive to my staff, but it's fragile, isn't it? The fact that we're here, the fact that this planet revolves around the sun exactly like it's supposed to is only owing to one thing. Jesus is continuing to command it to do so. He is the radiance, the shining forth of the glory of God. What's the end point we're aimed at? Glory. Jesus is the radiance of that glory and the exact imprint of his nature. He's upholding everything together. And according to verse 6, which I didn't read, Jesus is himself 
God. He is God the Son. So here's where the author of Hebrews starts. It's the greatness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is infinitely great. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must. Does anybody remember what that word must is actually in the Greek? One of my favorite words. What? Behoove. Isn't that just a fun word to say? We are behooved to pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's where he went after the greatness of Christ is the greatness of our salvation. After lauding the greatness of the Son, he, he, he lauds the greatness of our salvation and the absolute absurdity, absurdity for us to neglect such a great salvation, to have careless disregard for it, to drift away like a boat that's not properly anchored to the shore. He's like, it's ludicrous. When we behold the greatness of the Son and the greatness of this salvation, For us not to pay all the more attention. How great is this salvation? Here's another way to ask that question. What are we aimed at? Here's how John Piper put it. It was so good, I just decided to quote it. The greatness of our salvation, quote, is the purpose of God for us humans. Humans. To one day have the magnificent position of glory and honor under God and over creation. Let me read that again. It needs to be read again, doesn't it? That's just so good. The greatness of our salvation is this. It's the purpose of God for us humans. (laughs) Humans. To one day have a a magnificent position of glory and honor under God and over the creation that he's made. That's what prompted the author of Hebrews to go on and quote Psalm 8 in chapter 2, where David, the psalmist, is so captured by the, the insignificance of man. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? He's like, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, what do you do with your fingers? Light and easy work. If you have looked at, here's another thing for you to go Google, and and YouTube would be okay with this. At the stuff the web telescope is sending back that was just launched not that long ago. The vastness of the universe is staggering. And David didn't have that perspective. All he could do was go outside and look up. But he still had a sense. This is huge. Everything that God has made, it's just so massive. And his glory is set above that. And it's the work of his fingers. And when I I take that in, David says, the question just comes bubbling up out of me. What is man that you are mindful of him? You know, it's almost, it, we're, not almost, but we're, we're on our way to springtime, right? And here's what happens in spring in my yard is I get ant beds. Is anybody else with me in that? I'll be honest with you. I don't give them a thought other than where's my ant poison? And how many of you understand the gap between me and an ant doesn't even compare not even remotely compare to the gap between us as humans and a perfectly holy, infinite, righteous God who made everything with his fingers. What is man? David's confounded by that. Why would you even give us a second thought? And yet, this is where David goes and the Hebrew author of Hebrews quotes it. You've crowned him with glory and honor And put all things in subjection under our feet. That's an incredible promise. 
But you're, you're, you're looking at me like, huh? And, and rightfully so. The author of Hebrews is not naive. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what all God's children are thinking. It sure doesn't feel that way. Doesn't feel like all things are under my feet. Why? Because in the creation that we're supposed to rule over under God, that glory and honor that we're supposed to have, we suffer and die in creation. That's, that's our reality. That's our experience. It doesn't feel like creation is subject to us. It feels like we're subject to it. Even if you're not a church or a Bible person, you have to admit that, right? So what does the author of Hebrews say? Look at verse 8. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, talking about mankind. But, verse 9, but we see him who for a little while, like us, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, and he's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So after lauding the greatness of the Son and then teeing us up for the greatness of our salvation, he now brings us to the greatness of the incarnation. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, without ceasing to be God, became one of us, human. Without giving up his divine essence, he set aside his divine glory. He set aside his divine privileges. He took on flesh, became like one of us, and he suffered and he died. We know death, don't we? We know death. We're familiar with death. We know death is the it's the chain, it's the anchor that keeps us from realizing the glory that Psalm 8 holds out for us. We're supposed to rule over, but it almost seems like we're being ruled by because we suffer and die. But here's what Jesus did. He not only came and became one of us, was made lower than the angels for a little while like us. He died, but death didn't conquer him. Death was conquered by him. So even though, folks, are you tracking? Can you connect the dots? Even though we're promised this glory and honor that we don't realize yet, we don't see yet, what do we see? Jesus. We see him who became like one of us. He subjected himself, folks, to all the effects of the fall without succumbing to the sin of the fall. Let me say it again. He subjected himself to all the effects of the fall without succumbing to the sin of the fall. Therefore, he walked through death and out the other side. And now he's crowned with glory and honor, and all things are under his feet. That's good news, isn't it? Praise Jesus. I think Stephen Covey was right almost. We do have to begin with the end in mind when it comes to the Christian life. But we need to begin with the right end in mind. And the right end in mind, folks, is not simply... Jesus Christ died so that we could be forgiven and therefore go to heaven and not hell when we die. In other words, the benefit of our salvation is merely a location that we get to enjoy on the other side of this life, that there's an afterlife for us. I would never say it's less than that, but folks, it's so much more than that. I had a pastor friend of mine that told me one time years and years ago, he said, if God's goal, if his end point, how many of you know God began with the right end in mind? 
I didn't make that up. That's actually in Isaiah. Through Isaiah, God says, I declare the end from the beginning. And that word declare actually means determine. I determine the end from the beginning. In other words, God never starts until he's finished. So God began with the right end in mind. And what was that end? My, my pastor friend said, if God's goal was simply to get me from earth to heaven, I'd already be there. How many of you understand God has no problem getting people from earth to heaven? In the Old Testament, we can read about Moses. Moses and God went on a walk one day, and guess what? Only God came back. And he came back to Joshua and said, Moses, my servant is dead. How'd that happen, God? That's none of your business. It's your time, Joshua. Let's take the people into the promised land. God has no problem getting people from earth to heaven. There's a greater, more ultimate end than that. What is that end? Just notice that after he lauds the greatness of Christ, the greatness of our salvation, and the greatness of the incarnation, that God the Son became like one of us. Notice, he doesn't go to talking about us going to heaven when we die. Where does he go? Look at verse 10. <clears throat> For it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist. Let's stop right there. Just leave that verse up there, Peyton. It was fitting. It was proper. It was appropriate. Why? Because God began with the right end in mind. What is that end? It was fitting and profit, uh, uh, proper that he, God the Father... For whom and by whom all things exist. Why do all things exist? For God. For the glory of God. A huge question. A huge question that every Christian should ask themselves. What is God ultimately about? What is he after? What is his goal? What is his end? It's one thing and it's one thing only. It's his own glory put on full display. And he could not be more righteous and more perfectly holy in being about that. Why? Because there's nothing greater than his glory. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing more, nothing more holy, nothing more righteous than his glory. If God was about anything other than himself, he would be an idolater. God is not looking to anything or anyone other than himself. He flung the universe into existence and said, here's a little taste of what I'm like. That's who he is. He's ultimately about his own glory, and he's not an egomaniac. He could not be more loving. You know, that's not true of us. If I get all about me, that's a problem. Because I ain't all that. But God is. He is all that. And so to be about himself is perfectly holy and righteous. The end that God began with in mind was his own glory. That's why the author of Hebrews says, for whom and by whom all things exist. It was fitting for that God who ultimately is about putting his glory on display to do what? To bring many sons to glory. Wait, you might be going, wait a minute, I thought it was all about the glory of God. Yes, it is. The question is, how is it that God has determined to put his, his own glory on full display? Through filling the earth with image-bearing people. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. His intention has only, that's been, if you're new to res, we talk about this all the time. God only has plan A. He does not have plan B or C. He did not create everything in the Garden of Eden and, and, Eden, and then when Adam and Eve messed things up, he went, whoops. God never reacts. He just acts. He's only and always been about one thing. His glory put on display through image-bearing people. So it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, let's keep reading, 
should make the founder or the author of their salvation perfect. Everybody say perfect. Perfect through suffering. What does that word mean? Perfect. I thought Jesus was already perfect. He is. He always has been. That word perfect or perfect means to bring to the right end. To bring to the right end. So connect the dots. God, in his sovereign wisdom, holiness and righteousness, he only and always does what's right, determines, I'm going to put my glory on full display. So he creates everything. Everything's made by him and for him to put his glory on display. And he determines in his sovereign wisdom that the primary agency through which his glory is going to be put on display, are you ready for this? Human beings. But human beings couldn't steward that on their own. And I think that was by his design too. That's a conversation for another time. Human beings couldn't steward that on their own. We sin and fall short of the glory of God. So what did he do? He sent the Son. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who is God himself, who is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, has been appointed the heir of all things. He came like us for a little while, being made lower than the angels. He took on flesh and blood, and he suffered like we do. He suffered just like we do, and he died just like we do. And on the surface, if you just look at that, if you just look at the cross of Christ and him hanging there, him breathing his last, it would seem that the plan failed. Why? Because he went down the same road we all go. He died. He lost his life, and it seemed for a moment that he, just like us, was not ruling over creation. He was made subject to creation, just like us. But he didn't stay dead. He came through death and out the other side in order that he might what? Bring many sons to glory. I had somebody come up to me after a service one time not that long ago, and they asked me, what does the Bible mean when it says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead? Oh, what a statement, right? It means he came, he's gone before us. He's the author, he's the founder, he's the archetype of our salvation. He walked through death, out the other side, got a renewed body, and now he's crowned with glory and honor. And guess what? The New Testament says we are now in Christ. Guess what trajectory we're on, folks? It's not just for you to be able to live in some floaty place for all eternity. We don't see the glory and honor promised us in Psalm 8 yet. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels and is now crowned with glory and honor. And it was fitting. It was fitting for all of that to happen. How many of you know Isaiah said, it pleased the Father to crush him. Why did it please him? Because he's always begun with the end in mind. What's that end? Put my glory on full display through image-bearing people. And the only way he could do that, because we couldn't steward that, the only way he could bring many sons to glory was to send the son to come like one of us, go through death, and then be crowned with that glory and honor so that in him we too will be brought to glory. Here's how the Apostle Paul talks about it. Ephesians chapter 1. Go there. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How many of you know it's only and always been plan A? Right? I'm going to say that one more time. It's only and always been plan A. Before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Christ that we should what? Be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as what? Sons. Listen, that's not a gender thing. You realize that, right? This is not a, ladies, you should not feel less than when you read the term sons in scripture. This is not a gender thing. This is a status thing. We've all been adopted as sons to God, right? And through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What's his will? To put his glory on full display. According to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he had blessed us in the beloved. The right end is the glory of God put on display through bringing many sons to glory. And so in order to accomplish that, he sent the son, came like one of us, and he was brought by the father to the right end. He was perfected through suffering. And you might have questions about what that actually means. Trust me, Hebrews is going to unpack that. we got a lot more to go. But he, just get this much, the, the son was brought to the right end so that what? Verse 11, for he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them what? Again, not a gender thing. It's a status thing. Jesus calls you brother. Just sit in that for a minute. He who sanctifies. Who's that? It's Jesus. It's, he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He made purification for sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the one who's sanctifying. What's that mean? He's setting us apart. He's making us holy. We are the ones who are being set apart. We are being made holy by the one who is holy. We are being brought to glory by the one who is crowned with glory and honor. In other words, the son who was brought to the right end is bringing many sons to the right end. All by one source, the father. Through the Son being brought to the right end, we are being brought to the right end by the same source who is the Father, by whom and for whom are all things. And that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Call us brothers. I can't get my head around that. I'm asking the Lord to help me get my head around that. People have all kinds of notions about Jesus. I think people are too quick to feather Jesus' hair. Like he's just a nice guy. There were times when Jesus, I don't want to say he wasn't nice, but he said things that were hard. He said things that were, that were offensive to people. Jesus Sometimes it's thought of as a friend, and that's right. But some people dumb that down. Jesus is thought of as God, and that's right. But sometimes people are tempted to think that that means he's so distant from us. Do you know one of the things that we're about to dive into? Is that the suffering of the son, in order to bring many sons to glory, it tells us that God in his desire to put his glory on display, he wanted not just a bunch of converts, not just a bunch of people that understand some life principles. 
and have changed their moral compass. God wanted a family. He wanted a family of people that were so interwoven in his son who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Do you realize the kingdom of God being a part of the body of Christ, it does mean we have an elder brother who knows what we're going through. He knows our weakness. He was tempted. Boy, I can't wait to talk about that. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And you might be tempted to go, well, yeah, of course he's Jesus. Another one of my statements that the res regulars are tired of hearing Jesus did not come to earth and float six inches off the ground and glow in the dark. He was really human. And he's felt everything. Just as we do. And he did all of that to bring many sons to glory. And because God is so pleased with that, because it's ultimately about the end he's determined to put his glory on display, because of that, Jesus is not ashamed. I don't know about you, but I'll say it this way. We're familiar with the term black sheep of the family. Some of you might say, well, that's me. I'm the black sheep in the family. Others of you are thinking about somebody who's probably thinking about you right now. (laughs) Folks, in the body of Christ, there are no black sheep. There are only sheep that have been made white as snow by the blood of the son who was brought to the right end so that he could bring many sons to the right end. And the author of Hebrews goes on to quote from Psalm 22 and Isaiah 8 to just help us feel the emotion of Christ when he says, I'm not ashamed to call you brothers. Look at verse 12 and 13. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's Psalm 22. And again, I will put my trust in him, the Father. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. That's Isaiah 8. The fact that the Son of God was willing to suffer tells us that God's glory is infinitely great. The fact that the Son of God was willing to suffer tells us that the glory of God is infinitely great. The fact that the suffering of Christ is purposed to not only bring him to the right end, but to bring many sons to the right end, to bring us to glory, tells us that our salvation is infinitely great. Did you connect that? If the glory, here's another way to say it. If the glory of God is infinitely great, and God's purpose is to put that on full display through image-bearing people, sons brought to glory, it tells us that our salvation is infinitely great. And therefore, we must pay all the more attention to it. We must be sure that we're at least conscious of what we're being aimed at. And my real just practical takeaway this morning, pray that the Holy Spirit will help you, help you see this, not because this is beyond you in the sense that this is just too heady, too academic for you to understand. It's not that. We just, we're tempted, Christians are tempted to neglect our great salvation. We are tempted to be indifferent about it because we are bombarded on a daily basis. We we immerse ourselves sometimes on a daily basis in things that are lesser. They might seem great to us on some levels, but they are lesser. But if Hebrews is going to do anything, it's going to lead us to consider the greatness of Christ, 
the greatness of our salvation, the greatness of the incarnation, and the greatness of the glory of God put on full display to bring him many sons to glory. That's the Father's joy. That's Jesus, the Son's joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. This is our joy, the joy of our salvation. So let's end where we began. And let's begin where we know we will end. What is the ultimate goal of your salvation? What is the end that God is bringing you to? It is forgiveness. That's part of it. It is being made new. That's part of it. And it is joyful hope in life after death. That's part of it. But it's more than that. It's the glory of God. And it is our share. Did I read Romans? I'm going to end it right here. I promise. <laughs> Romans 8, 16 and 17. Boy, I skipped a bunch. Second service. Come back. I might hit it in the second service. <laughs> oh, this is so good, y'all. Let me just ask this. As we talk about this this morning, as we wrestle with this text, is there something, you don't, don't, don't give me an answer just because you think this is what I want, but is there something in your soul that is just screaming, yes, as you think about this, being brought to the right end, there's something in you, right, that's going, yes, I'm not sure what all that means, but yes, here's why, Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Oh, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What did the author of Hebrews say about Jesus, the Son? He's been appointed the heir of what? All things. In the Greek, all things means? He's been appointed the heir of all things, and we are fellow heirs with Christ. The greatness of our salvation is seen in the purpose of God in bringing many sons to glory who will, under God, rule over everything that he's made for his glory. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. It's such good news, folks. In ourselves, how many of you are suffering in some way or another right now? Just raise your hand. Come on, hold them high. We don't have to be ashamed of suffering. Yeah, we're suffering. We can compare and contrast and do all that business, but the fact is we suffer. When we suffer, we are incapable in and of ourselves of being brought to the right end through our suffering. Right? In our own strength, we give up. But in Christ, who suffered, who tasted death for us, he suffered for us. He went through death and out the other side for us. In Christ who was brought to the right end through his suffering, we know that we too are going to be brought to the right end through our suffering. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and, we don't like this part, but the fellowship of his sufferings. God is working in all things because all things were made by him and for him to put his glory on, many, on display through bringing many sons to glory. That's, that's what we're being aimed at. None, none of you raised your hand when I said, how many of you set goals for 2024? <laughs> but if you might take a notion, <laughs> let all those things 
find their place behind the end that God is bringing us to. Because here's what you and I both know is that a lot of times the temporary goals we set, if we actually discipline ourselves long enough to actually get there, what do we find? It didn't bring the euphoria we thought it would. I'm not saying that there aren't temporary natural goals that are worth striving for. There are. Don't, don't do less than that. But let those things find their place behind the end, the ultimate end, that God himself is bringing us to. If we do that, it seems like the author of Hebrews is going to say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, we've prayed this a few times in recent weeks. We don't want to neglect such a great salvation. I, 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 I feel like you've given me a vision for myself and for our church that includes multiplied, overflowing, abounding joy in our salvation. I wonder how long we've lived with maybe something less than that. Not to say that we aren't saved, but I just feel like for myself and my brothers and sisters that maybe that joy that you intend for us to have is somewhat less than it could be. So I'm asking that if anything else happens this year and through this study through Hebrews that you would lead us to overflowing, abounding, exceeding joy in this great salvation. Because I think if we had that, Lord, I think this is what Scripture testifies of. If we had that, Lord, oh, man, everything else would find its proper place behind that. Our joys and our sorrows. Our wins and our perceived temporary defeats. So I'm asking you to do that for us. Do that for all of your people around the world, for the body of Christ as a whole. Don't let us stay in the shallow end of the pool. Lead us into the depths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.